and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hello, friends. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Breaking the Curtain. Today, we have a really special episode that we're both so excited to share. Today's episode is a lovely follow-up to our season three opener about the life and legacy of Jonathan Larson. That episode was so special to us, and this one is even more special Mm -hmm. as we are joined by Jonathan Larson's real-life best friend, Matt O'Grady, to uh, talk further about Jonathan Larson, the artist, Jonathan Larson, the human, and of course, the immense and beautiful legacy he left behind. Welcome to Breaking the Curtain, Matt. We are so thrilled to have you here today. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here. Um, my first time on your podcast. And hello. Yes. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you. And of course, we'd love to start at the very beginning of your friendship with Jonathan. Would you like to tell us a bit about how you two met? Sure. You know, I don't even know when we met because we were so young. Um, you know, we grew up in the same neighborhood in White Plains, New York. It was just like a classic suburban setting um, of, you know, mom's at home and dad's commuting into New York City. We're going to work during the day. We went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school. But John lived about four or five blocks away and he was just always there. You know, I think some of my earliest recollections were just riding our bikes and going to birthday parties at his house. Um, and but I was very close to him and his parents and his family because I was just at that. You know, if he wasn't at my house, I was at his house. It was one of those mm-hmm. things, you know. So I, I don't remember when we first met, but he was always there from grammar school on. And um, but we really solidified by the time we were about 12 uh 11 or 12 we were pretty inseparable you know mm-hmm. and you know those critical awkward middle school and high school years you know that's that's when we just really you know bonded and i was very fortunate he was my closest closest friend until he died at 35 mm-hmm. so it was, it was just, he was just always there and he was always at my house playing the piano, making my mother happy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, those kind of friends, they don't knock. They just like walk into the house. They're like, hey mom, and start eating out of the fridge. It's kind of like. <laughs> right, right. You know? Well, he was always welcome. I mean, you know, my parents never worried about, I mean, you know, we were classic kids of the seventies and our parents were, mm-hmm. I guess, more permissive than they are these days. So, but just as long as I was with John, they always felt like I could never get into trouble. So, oh, mm. nice. <laughs> we would love to ask uh, do you have a favorite memory of Jonathan or a story about the two of you that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah. Um, I think my selfish favorite memory was when he got his license, you know, because then I <laughs> You know, so I remember the day he got the license, he showed up um, in his father's car and we got to use the car a lot. And then his father bought another car. So John was my ride through high school. So the first day he got his license, he was beaming, beaming. You know, he was so happy. Uh, So that was one. But when we were when we were in our early 30s, I think we were about 31 or 32. um, We went to Martha's Vineyard 
for a couple of weeks on a vacation. We rented a little a little shack. I mean, literally a little shack on the edge of the ocean near a horse farm. And it was just a beautiful place. And it was him and his girlfriend. And it was Jonathan Burkert and his girlfriend. Um, John's girlfriend at the time was Janet. Um, uh, Jonathan Burkhardt's girlfriend, I can't remember her name. Um, beautiful Italian woman. But And then there was me. I was like the fifth wheel. But I had such a great time with them we all felt so comfortable mm -hmm. and you know it all it just felt so innocent and easy and it was hot summer nights and and I just remember John every morning like opening it up that he, he brought with him in this I can't believe that car I wouldn't drive with him because I thought that car was never going to make it from New York City <laughs> to the ferry but, um he brought with him his um his waffle maker so he loved <laughs> waffles, you know, like with Jonathan, it was always about an event or how you could make something special, you know, and, you know, memorializing the moment, you know, he really appreciate, and you see that in his work, he really appreciated the moment and no day, but today and everything and all the messages mm -hmm. that he's given us, he really lived that way. It wasn't just him hearing some other philosopher saying it, it was like, you know, in, in cups, in cups of coffee, you know, and speeding tickets and cups, of coffee, all that stuff was, was a moment to appreciate and recognize, which made it into his art. So mm -hmm. I'm just surprised that the waffle maker didn't make it into rent or tick, tick, boom, you know, <laughs> I, he loved making a big breakfast. Like after we went swimming early or went cycling or something, come back and like have this enormous brunch. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's a good We're story. big on brunch here. Yes. Breaking the we just ordered some. <laughs> we so. just had brunch. <laughs> I love that. Just bring the waffle maker with you. Have waffles, we'll travel. Yeah, that's something we would do for sure. Yeah. We like to make an event of everything. Yeah, and what's better than a, than a beach a beach vacation? You know, John loved to swim um, in the ocean. I like to think I encouraged him to do a lot of that. And um, I certainly told, you know, the creators of Tick, Tick, Boom, how important swimming was to John. And look at that beautiful swimming pool scene in Tick, Tick, you know, at the pool he swam at, which was the Carmine Street pool, because it was an inexpensive, you know, city pool. Um, right. And um, like, we, we both use swimming as meditation, as a chance mm -hmm. to like, check out. So, yeah. you know, in, in Martha's Vineyard, we, it, the water that summer was incredibly, I remember it was warmer than usual um, and just swimming in that salt water and just having all that mm -hmm. time on the beach with him was so wonderful, you know? Yeah. So that's Beautiful. probably my favorite memories of him. Thank you for sharing Thank that. Thank you. You know, I love that you mentioned that scene because I really think like, the whole movie is obviously yeah. Oscar worthy. It's mm. across the board, but that scene where he's swimming and he sees the lyrics and he sees the music notes, the way Everything. that they did that, like cinematography, mm. the cinematography, cinematography of that. Yeah. Right. And, and the numbers on the bottom of the pool turned into musical notes and how yes. he touched it with his hand and it would move on. I mean, just beautiful, 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 beautiful art direction, beautiful direction. Mm. You know, yeah. and I have to say, Andrew Garfield's a good swimmer. He had a nice, nicer flip turn yeah. than John did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know,
know, since we're talking about the movie now, we know that you were involved with chatting with the creative team in that. Would you like to talk kind of about your role and in what capacity you were involved with the film and speak and whether you got to speak with uh, the people who were portraying these characters like Jonathan or uh, Robin. Robin De Jesus, who played Bye. Michael, who's actually based Bye. off of you. Right. Um, I met with, right when they were deciding to do it, I met with Lin-Manuel Miranda and Stephen Levinson, and we had a long dinner, and I told them everything I could about Jonathan during that period, and the diner, and his working, and his frustrations, and his aspirations, and who he was as a person, and I told them how important swimming was, you know, to, to break the stress. Um, so I did meet with them and his sister, Jonathan's sister, Julie Larson was one of the producers. So I would speak to her as well. Um, and I think we met with Lynn one other time, but I made a conscious decision not to invade any of um, Michael's or Jonathan's, Andrew Garfield's or Robin De Jesus' space. I sent them emails and said, congratulations. Um, I was living in London at the time, so I could, you probably use that as a little bit of an excuse, but I didn't want them, me hanging over their head, you know, mm. because <clears throat> particularly the case of Michael, it's not about me, it's about the friendship, you know, mm. it's, it's about the position that I was maybe in at that time, but it's, it's, it's not about being me or looking like me or acting like me. It's like, you know, this is a story that Jonathan wrote, you know, and he was, <clears throat> you know, he made some things up like I never acted, but you know the professional side of, of my life and my health status was all on display there. But I wanted to give um, Robin, that's particularly Robin, that space, and I'm really happy I did um, because he did a, a terrific job with it. You know, I just wish the Academy had recognized him as well. Us too. Yes. Us too. Yes. No, it was like it's such a nuanced role, but it's a hard role, and those scenes you know, where he talks to Jonathan and expresses his frustration, you know, especially him, you know, releasing, you know, talking about his HIV status. I mean, those are just like tearjerker, so sincere, really well done performances. And, but, you know, there's always a lot of competition. Either way, I've become very friendly with Robin since after we met at the, we really, I think we met years ago when he, he was in Rent. And I think we, we met at the 10th anniversary performance and big party, but we certainly met um, at the LA opening and mm. we, we talk now. I have like a new friend in my life. We did a talk back. We did a screening and a talk back in Sac Harbor um, in December and I had him over and like, he's met my whole family and I just adore him. He's just a little love bug and, <laughs> and a very talented actor who's been nominated for a couple Tonys um, and, uh, so I'm really pleased that I was able to give both of them their space and, um, you know, and, and Andrew's a terrific guy as well. You know, obviously everybody's knocking on his door at this point, you know, Oscar season's a really big deal. I wish him the best of luck and, and I'm really happy that he's nominated. I wish Lynn had been nominated, wish the movie had been nominated, you know, and, and I'm jaded. I mean, you know, it's, I've been watching performances of Tick, Tick, Boom, for 30 years, you know, since it was right. Boho days. Um, but I think they they knocked it out of the, the park. It's very hard to take a, um, a musical or a play, especially one that was a, 
you know, a monologue or three people and make it into a full-blown movie. And yes. well, and Julie O, the producers and Julie Larson and Steven Levinson, the whole creative team and the actors, they did a fantastic job. And I think I can say that whether I'm biased or not. So. You know, completely agree. <laughs> there were a lot of movie musicals in 2020. I think I yes. saw uh, 2021. I think I saw like five and Tick, mm. Tick, Boom is top of the list. Oh, easily. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just, I love that, like you said, it was originally a monologue. It was originally a three-person production, but they still kind of kept the intimacy of that yes. while making it into this big, beautiful film. And it just, oh, it's a gorgeous balance. So you know, I agree with you. I'm like, why wasn't it nominated more? But I'm glad it's getting the recognition, the public response as well. Yes. From theater kids who maybe like us, who knew who Jonathan was and knew Rent and knew Tick, Tick, Boom. But also there's this whole new generation of theater kids. I don't know if you're on TikTok, um, <laughs> but Tick, Tick, Boom is blowing up Massive. on TikTok. You know I am on TikTok, even for my age, I'm yes. proud of TikTok, but I'm taking a note to myself and I'm going to go look at it and see what they say. Yeah. There, there is a tick, tick, boom. Um, There's actually people who dress up as Jonathan, which uh, is so wonderful to see. And lips into the song. We were like, do. oh my goodness, um, can you believe this? I think therapy is a big one. A yes. lot of people record themselves doing both doing, parts. Yeah and like put them side by side. Um, Boho Days is big. Yes. People are trying to like sing all of the names of the roommates mm -hmm. at the same speed. Like, I think it's under the hashtag Tick Tick Boom. Yeah. But uh, it'll say popular or trending or something. Yeah, like but, yeah. I see it all the time on TikTok and I just think how freaking brilliant is that? You know how, you know what it's funny? How many, how many people have said to me, I saw TikTok Boom. I was thinking about you, yes. you know? It's like, okay. All right, yeah, so social media is really invading all of our life, you know. But people even spell it that way. They spell it T-I-K-T-O-K, boom. You know, it's like... Yeah. You know. <laughs> My mother did that. She she grew up loving Rent and Jonathan Larson as much as I did. And she was like, let's watch TikTok boom tonight again. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Good for your mom. Good for your mom. Good for Carol. <laughs> You know, you tell her I approve. <laughs> I will. <laughs> She'll be happy. Well, my parents, my dad, like, if I put on a musical movie, he'll usually leave about halfway through. It's just not his thing. He sat through Tick, Tick, Boom from start to finish. Like, didn't even leave to, like, mm. go get a snack or anything. Usually, like, he makes an excuse yeah. to leave and then comes back. But, like, we had a family movie night with it. And <laughs> they do call it Tick, Tock, Boom, but they loved right. it. <laughs> no, okay, so here's so, the confession. And I said it, like, even at Jonathan's memorial service. It's like until uh, Jonathan dragged me to everything from Godspell to Jesus Christ Superstar to Grease to all the Sondheim musicals to everything, you know, Follies, all of it. I hated musicals, you know? It's <laughs> like, you know, I, I just couldn't stand the sing song rhymes and I just didn't appreciate them like he did. And I'm so sorry that he's not here to see that I finally, you know, at my age now, really love and appreciate the musicals. But when we were growing up, I was like, oh, God, another musical. <laughs> you know, anything to get out of White Plains, New York and go to New York City. But, you know, like one time I gave money to go get tickets to see Peter Frampton, you know, which was a really big yes. band yeah. in the 70s, the hair, mm -hmm. you know, the marijuana, everything, the whole experience. 
And so I gave him the money and he went to like, they had these like ticket booths at, at, at department stores and you could go buy it. And so, so I called him up that night, I got home. I said, so you got the tickets, right? He goes, I got tickets. I said, you got the tickets <laughs> to Hampton, right? And he's like, well, I got, I got, I, I got tickets to, to a What did you get tickets to? <laughs> Sweeney Todd. Be the worst one to just be like surprise. It's like, I can't believe it. You know, we. It may not have even been Peter Frampton. I'm not sure who it was. It was like something really rock and roll. You know, it was something like the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen or Peter Frampton. It was something late '70s, early '80s rock and roll music. And he got his tickets to Sweeney Todd. Amazing. Which is almost the opposite of <laughs> the opposite. But you know what I mean? How many times had he already seen it? You know, I mean, <laughs> like I had, so, you know, but I, I didn't appreciate it, you know, and Sondheim was his, like, you know, his idol, mm. mentor, and mm -hmm. for him to have met him and, you know, for Sondheim to have been generous with his time with Jonathan was just incredible, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I I actually I love I love how they did that in the film as well. Mm. That's in those and Bradley Whitford, I think it was, and all of that makeup. He looked Incredible. so much like Steve yeah. and Sondheim. It was bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, just... I, I uh, the woman who runs Friends Indeed, which is um the inspiration for the HIV positive support group uh in rent, is named Cynthia O'Neill. And she's very mm -hmm. close with Stephen Sondheim. And she said to me, she goes, Bradley Whitford nailed Stephen in that. Like the way his head was cocked and the way he spoke and the way he um, would think before he speaks, you know, she said he just like had it down perfectly. So what, what a cast of like, you know, oh, yeah. Judith Light as the agent. Yeah, she was killer. Vanessa Hudgens, I mean, everybody is terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Joshua Henry. Even. Right. Like I could listen to him yeah. sing all day. It was just, it was a killer, killer cast. Yeah. It's it just a great, everyone. Great Amazing. movie. And of course the Sunday sequence, like everyone. Oh, I love Brock. Everyone. I yeah. love Brock. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so many mu um, uh, songs in there that are, that are really heart string movements, but the way that Lynn got everybody to show up and do those cameos you know, Bernadette Peters, et cetera, you know, mm. B.B. Newworth. It's it just, the list goes on and on and on, you know, um, and brunch just becomes this cascade mm. of a moment. You know, you have Daphne Rubin Vegan, Anthony Rapp and Adam Pascal. You have so many people that meant so much to Jonathan, mm. you know, they're singing, you know, brunch, mm. um, which is just such a hysterical song to begin with, you know, like, they'd be better at eating at home, you know? Yeah. Like somebody calling, them, do you take reservations? No, we're dying, <laughs> you know? It's so good. You know, that was classic job, so you know? Gracious. So, yeah. And, you know, the, the, it's, the music is so beautiful, but, you know, then you have other songs like Why mm. and Come to Your Senses that are just such moving tearjerkers. Absolutely. You just, Right there. Which I love how they did. They did why, like how they oh, filmed it and how they yeah. staged it at the Delacour mm. Theater. Yeah, with like yeah. the rain and the camera. Mm. And I think I read because you can't be on the grass in the winter or something. It was just oh, a yeah. camera operator 
um, Andrew Garfield and Lin-Manuel Miranda was there directing and holding the boom <laughs> mic at the same time. Amazing. Like, it's just, that scene is so gorgeous. So gorgeous. That's, like, Oscar. <laughs> and, and that's what was in the play as well. Right. You know, that was in the monologue and that was in... Um, the 2001 production mm. of when it really became Tick, Tick, Boom with Raul Esparza and Amy Spangler and Jerry Dixon, um, directed by, I think, Scott Schwartz or, and, and the writer, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. He was so good. Oh, um, um, we, we just, just talked did, we about just did this. Oh, Who my is it? goodness. I'm blank. David, David Auburn. Yes. David yes, Auburn? it is. Yeah. Terrific. Just that, that whole show. Mm. And you know, that show opened three months or two months before 9-11. Yes. Um, downtown, like a mile north of the World Trade Center, you know, and the um, the swag, the marketing giveaway was a bomb, you know? So, you know, like they had tick, tick, boom, yeah. you know, was, and there was a little black old 19, yeah. early 19th, 20th century bomb, which was like, so, but, you know, nobody was going to the theater. Nobody was coming to New York City. So it closed and then reopened months later. And it had a rotating cast of great people. Molly Ringwald played uh, the Susan character after Amy Spangler. You know, a lot of people did it and it was just terrific. Yeah, I think the album even came out on 9-11. Really? Yeah. Oh, did it? Yeah, because yeah. I was reading when I was doing research, it said, um, like, unironically, Tick, Tick, Boom released today on September 11th. And I was like, huh. Right. But. It's beautifully done. They all have Raul and Jerry and Amy have beautiful voices. Gorgeous. You know, so that you know, they so that that was beautifully done as well. I listened to that album so much in college. <laughs> over and over and over. It's just it was so well done. Mm. And I like I love the music and just it's just it's so good. So good. He really his his music is so emotional. John knows really how to pull at your heartstrings. Yes, you know, you know. I always say like I think when we talk, there's I always kind of compare back to um, this is such it's kind of such a like theater thing to say, but like Irving Berlin when he wrote his ballads, it was so simple, and that's mm. what made them so beautiful. And I think while Jonathan brings such a complexity to mm. his work, when he gets to like those big moments in his songs, the lyrics are just so. Yeah like direct like and honest you. like without you yeah. is one of the best musical theater ballads ever because mm -hmm. it's so just raw and direct with it's right there. like it just hands yeah. it to right you. and it's yeah. just right yeah and it, it's a, it's only a couple of phrases that yes. he gets you with like yeah. will i lose my will i lose my dignity yeah. that song yeah beautiful or um the reprieve of live in my house mm -hmm. you know yes. after angel dies yeah you know just like I mean, he, it's just my skin. I feel the goosebumps when yeah. I think about that. I think about Jesse Martin oh. singing that song at the memorial service. Right. And John and I went to plenty of memorial services, mm. you know. I just didn't expect to be going to his. You know, so. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. That was a, this is the second pandemic I've lived through. Wow, <laughs> right. That's true. Well, the other one, they never called AIDS a pandemic, right. um, but it certainly felt that way in my community or in my neighborhood, mm. you know, in my friends, you know, if you lived in Greenwich Village at that time, or if you lived in an inner city in a gay neighborhood, you just watched people die all the time. You know, I was just one of the lucky ones, which they use in rent. <laughs> so. Yeah.
and thank you, you were, for sharing so, that. That's kind of thank, you for sharing. <laughs> no, thank you for sharing that. I think that like that's really wonderful of you to share because yes. I think there still is so much misinformation out yes. there about that time and about HIV and AIDS. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there, was, there was one movie that somebody did recently, or no, it was a documentary about, like, We Were There, that came out a couple of years ago that did a good job on it, and a, and a movie also about, you know, San Francisco in the early days mm. of it, um, and how frightening it was, you know, I mean, back then you thought, oh, penicillin can cure everything, you know, or a phone call to mom and dad can cure everything, you know, but when you find out you're HIV positive, mm. you just think, you know, at a young age, you know, because you think you're invincible, you know, you grew up post-war optimism, you know, in a suburb where everything was provided for you, you had a great education, and then this happens. Um, nobody expected it, but the universe, you know, gave it to us. Uh, so it was a very, very rough chapter, um, but it was that's what I was saying earlier about Jonathan was the witness mm -hmm. and he observed everybody around him. Mm -hmm. And um, if you were in his life, your life was material <laughs> for his art. Um, and I'm just honored that I was there to see it and, and be part of it uh, because he just wrote what he saw. Mm -hmm. And it was a really dramatic phase, you know, and scary phase, 1980s and 1990s. And as, as you had said, you know, Chrissy, just a moment ago, it's not over, you know, I mean, people get infected with HIV all the time, yeah. you know, it, they think that just the medication is going to save you, but that's not the case. Uh, and not everybody has access to that. So eh, the story, the beat goes on, the story goes on, but it's certainly a disease that is deadly and, you know, can really take somebody's life mm -hmm. we'll have to watch that documentary yeah. and we'll be sure to we should we'll link it for the people listening Absolutely. too because i think yeah. it really is something that you know more people should educate themselves mm -hmm. about because of how many people it affects yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely and i think this i i'd like to draw it back to what we were speaking about earlier before um we hit record even when we were talking about kind of politics in um jonathan's work mm. and how he observed like you said that's what i mean when i think that rent is so very political it's like a time capsule mm. very much of, yeah. that, of that time and it's uh like like you said it would have been cool to see what he would have done with as uh we've progressed as a society politically and technologically and mm -hmm. sociologically and all that yeah, yeah the, the last summer he was alive i i had a terrible knee injury mm. um and John came and spent a lot of time with me at my parents' house out on the east end of Long Island because uh, I was stuck there in a cast, you know, on crutches. And my parents would come out on the weekends. It was just a beach house. And um, but it, my dad was there a lot. But John would come out and because he knew I was bored out of my mind and, you know, never had an injury like that and couldn't carry anything. So he would take me to the beach and take me out, et cetera. So I listened to every rendition of the Rent songs because he had a tape recorder at all times. And I'm like, all right, yep, sounds good. Um, you know, I was just not the musical theater fan, but I would listen and be as supportive as possible. But I knew how important 
the production at the New York Theater Workshop was and the fact that he had Michael Greif directing it. He was so excited. You know, he was just counting the days to when, you know, casting and rehearsals would start. Uh, but I said to him, you know, John, it's, it's coming. What's going to be next? What, what's after this? Because you're always looking down the road. Like when you were writing Tick, Tick, Boom, you were already working on, you know, a, a version of La Boheme, which mm. turned into Rent, that I'm going to do something political. Mm. And, it, you know, at that point, we had just lived through the, you know, or the Clinton, it was right in the middle of the Clinton years. And how people, you really saw the divisiveness at that point really starting to heat up and how they'd go after politicians that way for just no reason whatsoever. And he said, I'm gonna write about politics. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna put it to music. And then look at all the material he would have had after that. He would have had George Bush and Dick Cheney and then the Trumps, you know? I mean, that was just ripe, you know, for it all, you know, and so I'm just only sorry that he wasn't there because we need that as a, as a society, we need that healing. Yeah. And art is a chance to let you heal and let you understand the other perspective and the other side, hopefully. Um, and you see a lot of healing in Rent mm-hmm. and in Tick Tick um, and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what's so long wrong with peace, love, and understanding, you know, thank you, Elvis Costello. (laughs) So it's, you know, what's so funny. That's the line. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding. And Jonathan understood that. And he would have written about that because the biggest story of of our lives is how divisive I think everybody is right now, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at something, I think specifically Rent, especially when you look at casting in Rent and the Mm. characters that are in Rent, you know, I think Rent was one of those, one of the first big musicals that made that sort of diversity, whether it it was, you know, it was race, it was sexuality. Mm. There were so many different people in the characters right. in Rent, yeah. and it was that's I think what makes it so such a huge you know celebration of life as it is because it has all these different people and all I'm these gonna, different humans. Well, and, sure well John represented, yeah, Sorry, John please. represented he, he John represented the community that he lived in, mm-hmm. yeah, and he saw it. And you're right, you are right, and that's why Lynn was so inspired by him, and many people are inspired by him because it was the first big diverse cast. Yes. And he just looked around and said, this is what, he was so far ahead of the curve on this so before corp- oh corporations started him, you know, taking diversity and inclusion seriously. Mm. Yes. John cast a diverse cast. Mm. And it was a huge hit because that cast was so not only talented, but diverse. It's mm. funny, um, Robin DeJesus said something to me that really struck at me and it just almost brought me to tears when he said that when Ren came out and we saw uh, black and brown people and people of color in major roles and getting these great roles, you had hope, you know, you would hope that you could get cast in Rent or on one of the Rent road shows or something because those were jobs mm-hmm. and those jobs gave people money to support themselves, to have a home, to buy an apartment, you know, to launch their career and do many mm-hmm. other things. Um, and he said, and, and rent provided a lot of jobs for mm-hmm. actors of color. And I just never thought of like, you know, and me being in business, you know, the financial impact that rent has had on so many different people. Um, 
you know, hurrah. Yes, so. yeah. You know, we did we did a big rent episode, I think, in our first season, and mm. we were talking about all these big kind of firsts that rent had, and not yeah. only from the point of view of diversity, but when uh, the seat lottery the was lottery. the first one to have like affordable ticket lottery in the front row, in the front row, yeah. so that people from all walks of life could like come and like buy a twenty dollar ticket and see the show. And I think it's kind of the same now. I think that's so great that it went straight to like a Netflix release. So, yes. you know, wherever you are in the world, you can, you know, you can get that free yeah. seven day trial and you can enjoy uh, Tick, Tick, Boom. Yes. Um, so many things I, I'd like to actually say while we're talking about this legacy wise. Um, when I went to school for musical theater, we had this musical theater history class and we would always say, Across the board in all of our classes, when we were talking about shows and show history, there was there's pre-rent and there's mm. post-rent. And that was the turning point for literally everything that we did. It was kind of like, okay, so you're going to do a pre-rent or post-rent. And that was how we kind of had our theater timeline. And, you know, that timeline starts in like 1914 with like vaudeville stuff and goes to today but it's still pre-rent or post-rent and yeah. i think that that's just no, jonathan jonathan would openly say i'm going to change musical theater and people will would laugh at that but to really have an impact like that you have to be dead serious yes. about what you believe in and he was um he was not only dead serious about it um but genius people uh, are people who, you know, he was persistent and he was confident and sure he had his doubts and sure he had plenty of rejection, but he never gave up because he had a vision of where it should go. And he followed his vision, his passion and his commitment all merged and he made it happen. Um, and when you look at the people in life who've made big impacts, you know, they had that passion, they had that commitment, they had that vision and they didn't give up. Yes. That was him. And that's why he truly had such a huge impact on musical theater. And look at look at look at Broadway today and all yeah, the, yeah. the rock and roll that you can see or the non-contemporary, you know, reruns that you yeah. can see today. And I'm not no, no disparagement of, of wonderful, wonderful musical sure. theater history. But why not give new people a chance? And, you know, the Jonathan Larson Foundation also, you know, for many years, it's part of ASCAP now, though, gave away money and recognized young composers so yes. that they could get an award. Because when John won that award, won the, uh, what was it, the uh, Richard Rogers grant or the yes. Stevens, he won two awards. Yeah. Um, I didn't know those things. But that was a huge deal to him, you know, to get a check for $10,000 or something and to get that acknowledgement and to meet your, you know, your hero or your, mm -hmm. you know, the person you aspire to be in life. Is, was an amazing shot in the arm. That kept him going for another five years. Everybody needs encouragement. Yeah. And, you know, kudos to the Larson family for continuing that legacy. We were just, we were, when we were researching um, for our episode, we found that actually one of our favorite composing teams um, that Carrie we got to work with, Loudermilk, who we got to work with, yeah. they were recipients of the Jonathan yeah. Larson grant. And, it's amazing. You know, it's, beautiful like you said his story you know not only inspires like the individual artist to mm. keep going it not only paves the way for new kinds of music and new kinds of productions but yeah. for new writers and yeah. new stories and I think especially with um the year we've had and how Broadway mm. is kind of reshaping itself yes 
I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And we honestly so, wouldn't yeah. be able to have these conversations mm. if, you know, Jonathan Larson hadn't literally, like, paved the way to get us to, to this point. And wow. just, I love that part in the movie um, where he does that. He says, I'm the future of musical theater, Scott. And it's right. like, I just like remember saying to the screen, I was like, yeah, you were. <laughs> I was like, you did it. And uh, yeah, he, he really, really believed that he was going to be part of, you know, the future of musical theater. And so God bless him. He was, he made it happen. Yeah. And he wrote so many brilliant songs, including many that are at the Library of Congress that many of us haven't even heard mm -hmm. yet, or well, hopefully someday. But, I hope so, yeah. because we obviously we can't we didn't go to D.C. because travel. And, yes. Well, but they did help us. But so. they did help us. They sent us a bunch of the digital archives that they had of Jonathan's work. Yeah, so we were able to pour over that and yeah, just see who was what's the the author's name who gave us the timeline oh amy ash sent us the amy yeah amy is amy is terrific and she was the one who documented all of his songs to begin with and got it off of like you know his old apple mac hard drive amy did amazing and she worked for the foundation for a long time Oh, yeah. Her and um, oh, what was the woman's name? O'Donnell, um, Carrie O'Donnell did mm -hmm. amazing work there too. But um, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, they did this thing called the Jonathan Larson Project. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, 54 Below, and sang all these songs that nobody ever heard. Yeah. And actually, one night, the night I brought my mom, they sang a song that John wrote for my dad's retirement party called "The Ballad of Marty O'Grady." And um, I didn't tell mom they were going to sing it that night, but he wrote this song at my dad's retirement party and he sang it. And not only did he sing it, he distributed the lyrics, the chorus of the lyrics. He made copies of everything. You know, I show up late, of course, and he's like, where are you? We've got to rehearse this audience. You know, everybody's got to sing the lyrics. And I'm like, oh, God. Just, just. And... But sure enough, he said, he warmed up the audience and he said, I'm going to sing a song to Marty, but we're going to rehearse the <laughs> the chorus first. We made, it was a big party of people just drinking, you know, 250 people are there, you know, but he got everybody's attention. He distributed, he went around, distributed the lyrics himself. Amazing. And he said, you guys just have to swing, sing the chorus. And he made everybody do it. And then that Love night it. at the Jonathan Larson um, project, they sang that song and I could just, my mother just withering away next to me, but it was so moving uh, because there are so many songs that, that Jonathan wrote. There's just, yeah. you know, there's more and more material there. You know? Yeah. Do you have one so, that's a particular favorite? I, I suppose I would use that word. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I, I love the one that he wrote for my dad, but yeah. you know, my, my favorite songs of Jonathan are, are probably why mm. um, come to your senses and brunch and th that's for tick tick and then in rent it's you know you know the, the angel memorial when mm. jesse martin sing you know live in my house again is, is just heart-wrenching you know i beg anybody not to have a tear in their eye for that oh, yeah. and will i lose my dignity and without you i mean all those songs are just so beautiful Gorgeous. You know, so it's it's hard. You no, know, I just named seven or eight songs. Do I have a favorite? No. <laughs> it's, if 
funny because we asked each other the same question this morning. We're getting ready, and we're, so we we're talking like, "What's your favorite Jonathan Larson song?" We listed all the ones you just listed, so we were like, "We it's could not possible to narrow <laughs> it down. They're all brilliant, and they all hit differently at different points in life." So yeah, and like they yeah. hit in the story and out of the story, yes. and like that's I think the sign of a true like musical theater song Absolutely. is it works in the story and then it works outside, yeah. like on its own, and all yeah. of them do. Yeah. So we're going to get to the last question here, but I do have a quick question going back to the film for you. Were you able to visit the 508 set at all? I, I saw a few people had. No, I, I was living in London then, but right. Lynn right. was really great about sending us screenshots of the diner and the sets and everything. And Jonathan had filmed, he had gotten broken into once or twice. And so after that, he filmed everything. And so there was a footage oh. of the apartment that he shared with Anne Egan, who was the, and so when they redid the apartment, I mean, there were many roommates, but Anne got the apartment first. And then she got sick of the rotating roommates and got a boyfriend that she married and moved out. Um, but she, they had a, a film of the apartment. So they replicated it like okay. down to the T. It looked exactly like it was and in fact Anne lent her paintings for the movie to it um so so they just so no I wasn't I didn't get to see any of the sets but Lynn was really good about showing us stuff and sending me emails and and you know he he did a group call with all his friends at one point so I just was really lucky to see that Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's hard you know, I it, it's actually a little bit of protection to keep some distance to it too, because yeah. it just you're you're constantly pulling off a band-aid of a wound that you're trying to heal. Yeah. So. And you know, I actually wanted to say that at some point to thank you for being here with us today because we know that you've done interviews about this. You've worked so hard to talk about Jonathan's mm-hmm. legacy and you know, keep his name out there and keep it alive. But we also realized that yeah, it was yeah. probably a very painful time for you and we appreciate that you're here and uh talking with us now yeah sure well i i i love that you you had one last question i think uh, we do yeah we you know if jonathan larson were with us today and you know he could see everything that had happened with tick tick boom and where he's where he's come to mm-hmm. you know what part of his legacy do you think he would be the most proud of you know, that's a really hard question. Um, he should really be the one to answer it. However, he just wanted to have an impact and have people listen to his music. Yeah. I think he would have been very proud of the applause, the reception. And remember, it wasn't just the music. He's a great storyteller. Yeah. Yes. You know? yeah. He won the Pulitzer for the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the music is equally beautiful, but he captured vulnerability and disease and addiction and completely put a spin on it so that everybody could relate to it, you know, and everybody could, um, you know, feel some kind of love, forgiveness or understanding. And, um, and I, he would have continued to do that and help this world heal because that's what we need to do. Um, and reach out and try and be understanding of the people that drive you nuts. So he would have he would have continued, and he would have been very proud. And I'm very very proud of of what uh, what he did accomplish in his short 
you know, 35 years here. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's plenty to be proud of there, but just the healing and the showing the other side of the disenfranchised, you know, because he saw people, he didn't see, um, you know, their, their foils or their troubles because everybody has problems. And he made everybody feel very, very understanding. And you just immediately, you know, or I hope many people got very emotionally connected to all those characters. And that's something to be really proud of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, oh, that was a great conversation. That's a, that's a really great answer. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I know that we have, anyway, we have that connection to oh, his yeah. characters and, and his work. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Well, this was a lot of fun. I love the name of your podcast, Breaking the Curse. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so thank much. You. Sure. It's really been so wonderful to have you. I was telling her earlier, I was like, you know, there's so many theater people that we look up to in general. But then I was saying like, you know, I've, I heard the name Matt O'Grady through Jonathan Larson interviews way before I knew the names like Lin-Manuel Miranda. So it really is such a pleasure to have you with us to yeah. have this great conversation. We oh, weren't sure. sure she was going to make it through the interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know I am now a musical theater fan forced into Yay! it. <laughs> you know, and um, I'm delighted. Oh, it, it, it is hard to talk about Jonathan. So I always have to get my head wrapped around it. Um, it is very emotional, but I'm so proud of him and what his family has done to keep his legacy alive, particularly Sister Julie. Um, mm. And I just only wish he were here to see it all. But, you know, on some level, he is seeing it. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely believe up. that. And you should be very proud of yourself too, because you do just as much of that legacy work. Yes. Oh, my thank you. You're, you're lovely people to talk to. Best thank of you. Luck. Lovely. Thank yeah. you. All right. Stay safe yes. and be well and yes. just have yeah. a great rest of your day. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. See you. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye.